1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. I have a great show for you guys today. We have a guest. Her name is Jen Richards, who you might recognize from the HBO series with Katherine Hahn called Mrs. Fletcher. Jen was also on the E! show I Am Kate with Caitlyn Jenner, and she's a trans activist. The conversation is very interesting because Jen has an arc on the CBS show Clarice coming up. Now, this is a drama that's a continuation of the Silence of the Lambs story. And maybe some of you aren't familiar with the discourse regarding the trans representation in Silence of the Lambs. But it's very fascinating. Jen and I talk about it. Even if you're not watching that show Clarice on CBS, I really implore you to stick around and listen to the interview with Jen because it's very fascinating stuff. Also, she has opinions on Caitlyn Jenner and gives great advice and all sorts of wonderful things. So please stick around because I really think – uh, everyone could get something out of the chat. So, Jen Richards, I'll play that in a second. But before I do, I just have to talk about a couple things. Number one, the Summer House reunion. Now, I wasn't going to get into it. No, Normally, I don't recap these reunions because they're kind of hard to recap. Although this one, it was two parts. The first part was all everyone just dragging Hannah. I mean, it was the whole stage, Dragon Hannah and Andy was having the time of his life. I haven't seen Andy that happy in years. I mean, truly, when Andy comes alive at a reunion, you really know he's having a good time. You could tell instantly. He was having a gay old time, really, as it were. And I loved watching him be so happy, and I thought it was a thrilling reunion. I'm sort of shocked that The Real Housewives of Atlanta got a three-part reunion for this season, but then Summer House, which was a fantastic season, only got two parts, although... I am happy because it left me wanting more. Like when that part two ended, I was like, please give me, give me more. Give me, give me more in the words of our dear queen icon legend, Britney Spears. But it was fascinating that part one was all about Hannah. And then part two, they had this big reveal where Luke says that production told him to invite Hannah to Minnesota in the off season. And I'll be honest with you. Andy right away said, that's not true, Luke. You know, that's not true. It was kind of like on the real houses in New York when Kelly Bensimone said that she was forced to go to Scary Island. And then Andy was like, uh, actually, that's not true. And Kelly Benzema was like, actually, it is Andy. I was forced to go on that trip. And he's like, actually, that's not true. And then us, as the audience, had to decide who was telling the truth. And the same thing happened here on Summer House. And I'll be honest with you guys, I sort of do feel like production might have encouraged Luke to ask Hannah that on camera. I don't know why, in my gut, I feel like that might have happened. Or maybe there was some sort of confusion, maybe... They encouraged it a little bit, or they led him in that direction, and he felt like they were telling him. I don't know, but something about it, I kind of was believing Luke. And by the way, believing Luke and also hating Luke, because it's still a shitty thing to do. And up until that point, I was totally team everyone but Hannah, going into that that second part of the reunion. And then when that part was revealed with Luke, I was like, you know what, what an asshole. I was so pissed at him, I couldn't believe that he did this to this woman. And then uh Hannah was trying to squeak out a tear, and she lost me. Then again, you know, it was like I was coming around to her for just a brief moment in time. I was like, you know what? I feel bad. I and I did feel bad that this man did it. But then she stormed off stage, and she was. It seemed to me trying to cry. And we always know on these housewives shows, on all of our Bravo programming, Vanderpump Rules, Southern Charm, any of these reunions, we can tell when somebody's trying to get out a tear, squeak out a tear. And I'll tell you how I really noticed it, is because in the second part of the reunion, Carl was having this beautiful moment where he was crying, Kyle was crying, Luke was tearing up, Amanda was tearing up, Danielle was crying, Lindsay. They were all crying, because Carl was telling this beautiful story about how this show and this cast saved him. So happy for our dear Carl, and I was feeling so bad for him, and you could tell that they all had genuine emotion and tears, and it felt so opposite of the tears that it seemed to me on, as a viewer that Hannah was trying to eke out. Now, again, I do feel sorry for her that this man led her on, because who hasn't been dickmatized by a hot male model before? I mean, who among us? We all have, and he's a very good looking man, this Luke. And so I understand how she was bamboozled. However, that doesn't explain a lot of the other behavior from this woman throughout the season. And I'm not willing to get uh, in arguments online. I know people, Summer House has got a passionate fan base right now. You know, people are yelling back and forth. Everyone hates this person, that person. And I get DMs, you guys, and people getting very uh, angry discourse regarding this show, Summer House. And so I'm not interested. I, I'm just going to say that, you know, she lost me, Hannah. And I wanted to be on her side. You guys know we've had Hannah on this show. My podcast episodes, you guys, by the way, it was brought up again in part two of The Reunion Kyle said something about, you said that on a podcast, or Hannah said that to him, you know, they were going back and forth. A lot of the stuff that was brought up at the reunion was, was mentioned here on Everything Iconic. I felt like we were an official sponsor of that reunion. There's a lot happening. But I've had Hannah on this show, and I've always found her to be really lovely on the show. However, this season, watching some of the behavior it was so infuriating. And uh, you guys, I don't know, I haven't seen many people that are more disliked in the Bravo universe, By the end of this season, I do think maybe at the end of that second part of the reunion, she won some people over with that Luke reveal about the Minnesota thing. However, she just seemed to show very little remorse to her relationship with Amanda. And then Paige and Sierra too were losing me a little bit. And you know, I love Paige. I love my Paige. Love her. But I was feeling like they were back in the wrong horse. And even Andy at one point in the reunion part two was saying, Paige, you got to have an opinion. He said, What's your opinion? And she's like, On which issue? And he's just like, Well, any of them, basically. <laughs> just give us an opinion on something because we're not hearing you say anything. And I know she wants to defend her friend, but that's not what this is not what you do on a reality show, Paige. We need you to speak up and say, You know, what she did was wrong. What Amanda did was wrong. This is how I feel about this or that. Instead, Paige had, when given the floor, she said, well, you know, they're both my friends, and that's why I keep quiet, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we can't have you keeping quiet, Paige. I love you, but I can't have you keeping quiet. Even if you are good friends with Hannah, you need to say, hey, you were acting bad with this situation. Or you were acting right with the situation. Just give me something. But she did seem to largely back Hannah, and even at certain points, she was whispering to her. She's like, maybe you should just apologize or say this or that. And then Hannah didn't listen, you know, and then she tried to squeak out a tear and then ran off stage. But there was a bunch of walk-offs, which was thrilling. And I ended that reunion and I felt like, where do we go from here? I do think everyone will be back. I can't imagine that. I I don't think I know a lot of people online. I see the comments. I think a lot of people online want them to get rid of Hannah. But Hannah really sparked a lot of the drama this season and I just don't see Bravo getting rid of her because there's already so much like set up storyline with her. Even though I do believe that most of the cast hates her. I do feel fully in my bones that Kyle, Amanda, Danielle. Fuck you, Danielle. Remember when, um, <laughs> that page moment was everything.
0: Fuck you, Danielle.
1: That was everything you guys loved it. Anyway, I do think they all truly despise Hannah with every ounce of their being, and I don't think they want her back, but I do think she will be back. Again, I know a lot, that's not what a lot of you want to hear. I get that. I don't think I want to hear it either, but I do think that they'll have her back. That's my professional opinion as someone who's analyzed these shows. Analyze, analyze this. Why am I thinking of that Billy Crystal Robert De Niro movie? I'm not sure. But in my professional opinion, I think they'll have the same cast back. And what I uh, have mentioned before, and I'll say again, I really want Danielle back. She stepped up this reunion. I Remember, there was one part in part two where Hannah kind of did one of those annoying coughs. You know, she said it was a she said it was a natural cough, but we all know it was a natural cough. You know, the, she heard one of the cast members say something. She just <clears throat> she did that fake cough, and you guys, Danielle was not having it. She said, oh, "Shut the fuck up!" You know, like Danielle really came alive when she heard that, and I love that part of Danielle. Ah, oh, I loved it. Lindsay too, you guys, Lindsay seemed to really calm down, Kyle, because Kyle ran off, stormed out at the reunion. She really stepped in and calmed him down. I love my Lindsay. I didn't really like how it seemed like a lot of people were defending Luke. The only thing I was really thinking was they do know more than us. So maybe like in some, that maybe they know more about the Luke situation, but as it were, Luke had admitted to the fact that he had asked this woman to come to Minnesota, to meet his family, and kind of uh, brought her along on this emotional journey. And so I, again, felt bad for Hannah in that moment, but I felt like everyone was then defending Luke, and they should have just said, hey, Luke, you fucked up. You fucked up. The other worry I have next season about where we go from here is that it seems like we're at this point where we have these couples— and I want them to be wild, and I wonder, are we going to get another good season out of this? Because Danielle and Robert are happy, which that's all I want for her, is her to be happy. Kyle and Amanda, they're about to get married. Then we have Carl, who's sober and seems in a really good place, which is good. I don't want him to be around drama, because I don't want Carl to relapse or anything like that. Sierra didn't really give us much this season. Maybe she'll step it up. Who knows? Paige didn't really give us so much this season, didn't even have an opinion, although I love her. So I'm thinking, where do we get the drama next season? Where is it coming from? Because I'm not sure. I don't know. I hope we get something. But this season was just so fantastic. I'm worried that we're going to go downhill from here and it's just going to be, I don't know, shit. Is that a Danny Downer thing of me to say? Maybe so. Somebody's gotta say it. Somebody's gotta say it. Anyway, you guys, that's my thoughts on Summer House. I thought it was a great season. I'm sad to see it go. Again, wish it was part three uh that we had to look forward to. However, I'm glad that they left us wanting more because I always would rather have that than something like the Dallas reunion where they're putting it on at 1030 at night and nobody gives a shit. You know what I mean? Uh But that's Summer House. And with all of that said... You guys, what a season. We made it to the end. We made it. With all that said, I hope you guys please stick around uh, for my interview of Jen Richards. I think you guys will really like something uh, out of it. I think it was a great chat. So uh, please find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino. Get our merch at everythingiconic.store. Set up before, and I'll say it again, we got up to 5XL in the t-shirts. So uh, you guys, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. And we'll put all our commercials in a quick break. And then we'll come back. With Jen Richards from CBS's Clarice. Watch her May 13th on CBS. I love you guys so much. We'll be back later this week with our real house size of New York. Bye bye. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Iconic today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Everything Iconic. I'm so excited. I have writer, actress, producer, activist, Jen Richards here. Jen, how are you doing? I'm excellent. How are you, Danny? I'm super excited to talk to you. Although I do, I I am a little bit upset because I loved the show Mrs. Fletcher, and I'm devastated that we're not getting more episodes.
0: I want. I would have loved a second season as well. That was such a fun show. It was such a fun cast. I just love working with Catherine. Catherine, it's been so wonderful! Who's, to s- yes, who's now having
1: this crazy moment?
0: Such a moment! It's such a moment. And what I, one of the many, many, many things I love about Catherine is that she has never been on social media, so she really doesn't know just how beloved she is. Like when these like memes started happening, I would be like sending them to her, like, "Have you seen this? Have you seen this?" Like she hasn't seen any of it. She's just living her best life. She's she's really she, great. I mean, if anyone out
1: there listening hasn't seen Mrs. Fletcher, it was just this one season, a beautiful season, and. And, and, yeah, I, I like, I wanted so, so many more episodes, but you were great in it, And Thank I loved you. it. Now, Jen, you're also starring on an upcoming uh, arc on the CBS's Clarice, which we're going to get to. Uh, before I do, though,
0: I want to know what are you watching on TV? What do you like? Do you watch a lot of TV? I don't. Uh, and over the last year, when I do watch television, I tend to just rewatch the same sitcoms I've seen a million times before. I got like what? I'll watch oh, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place and Parks and Rec and One Day at a Time and uh, anything that's kind. It's basically all I can handle these days is just kind television. <laughs> you and me both. My boyfriend and I have been watching The Golden Girls before bed
1: lately, oh. and it just... I don't know. It's everything's so heavy in the world. It's nice to just kind of go to bed with the girls.
0: I like that. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I will say I recently watched, um, dead to me. The Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was really fun. Like I that was really, com- like, oh my God, the performances of both the leads is just so, it's so good and really smartly written. Um, it's such a really, it's a very realistic female friendship, uh, as fraught as it was. Uh, so that that was really fun. Uh, yeah. and I did enjoy that. And my favorite television show of the year is Veneno. Like, easily by and far, some of the best, like the best trans portrayal I've ever seen, like without even a close second, and just one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. So that was very fantastic. exciting. Fantastic.
1: Yes. Everyone should be watching that. And speaking of trans representation, uh, you had a, you were a part of a documentary on Netflix called Disclosure, which I thought was brilliant and fantastic. And there's a specific clip that really even went viral uh, of you specifically yeah. speaking about
0: trans representation. Having cis men play trans women, in my mind, is a direct link to the violence against trans women. And in my mind, part of the reason that men end up killing trans women out of fear that other men will think that they're gay, for having been with trans women, is that the friends, the men whose judgment they're fear of, only know trans women from media, and the people who are playing trans women are the men that they know. This doesn't happen when a trans woman plays a trans woman. Laverne Cox is just as beautiful and glamorous off-screen as she is on-screen, as is Jasmine, as is Trace Lissette, and Alexandra Billings, and Angelica Ross, and so on. When you see these women off-screen still as women... It completely deflates this idea that there's somehow men in disguise. Whereas if I'm playing a trans character, I don't have to play the transness of it. When someone like Eddie Redmayne, who admittedly might give a really great performance as a trans woman...
1: Am I pretty enough?
0: Of course you are. What's remarkable about his performance is the transness, is the way that he's been able to manifest those feminine parts of himself into a convincing trans performance. But it reduces that person, in this case, who is a real person, to a performance of transness, to a performance of femininity, rather than as a whole person, of whom transness is one aspect of.
1: On Friday night, I was watching the Oprah interview with Elliot Page, and it was interesting to me, Oprah had said that Elliot recommended before they do an do the interview that Oprah watches Disclosure, because it's truly must-watch, uh, it's it's so eye opening in so many ways and i forgive me if i'm wrong but
0: did you film that in 2019 you know i actually filmed twice for that documentary uh, at well technically three times <laughs> uh, when sam was first developing the idea like 5 years ago and he was doing a, a, a first round of research interviews and then i sat once for him and then sat again for him near the end of the process it 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 happened over many years. So I think it probably, the last interview was probably in 18 or 19. I I do remember that Pose had just come out. And for us, that was like this big game changer. Like we'd never seen ourselves on network television in that way. Uh, so the conversation was shifting even as we were recording Disclosure. Yeah, I was curious. I, I
1: know it hasn't been a long period of time, but I wondered if you noticed a change in trans representation, even since you sat down to talk about it for that. Amazing documentary!
0: I have and disclosure had an immediate and irrevocable impact on uh, the industry itself. Like in a really, I, I'm kind of astonished by how quickly and how deeply it, it, it took root. Uh, I remember actually, in fact, it was it was with CBS who did Clarice. I was having a general with their their casting folks. I think there was. Seven of them from all over the country, you know, it was on Zoom. And typically when I have generals, I often spend a pretty big chunk of it doing some kind of basic trans education and and trans representation, just kind of giving the executives or casting folks or producers, whoever it is, a kind of sense of where we've been, you know, what needs to be addressed, like how we can do it better before we even get to like my, my personal stuff. And I've just kind of taken that on as, um, I wouldn't say burden. It's a responsibility. It's something I feel up to doing and I, I have the privilege to do. So I take those opportunities. And I, I sat down for this, for this general with the CBS casting folks. And I was all ready to say these things. They're like, all of them, all seven of them are like, we've seen disclosure. We loved it we get it, we want to do better. So, you know, kind of rather than like doing all this work to get up to kind of on the same page, like Disclosure's now done that work. Like, people have seen that movie, uh, it's it's intellectually challenged them and made them aware of new uh, perspectives and it's emotionally affected them in ways where they feel both complicit and, you know, um, a kind of moral imperative to do better. Uh, the impact of that movie cannot be overstated and we will see the results of that impact for a, a generation uh, it's really really incredible culminating yes with with like oprah watched it <laughs> like uh, oprah watched it and like i think she brings it up like five or six times uh, during the interview uh, it's it's incredible absolutely incredible yeah. everyone should watch it it's it's on netflix and uh, it's entertaining it's moving it's informative it's a really great documentary i'm so proud of sam who created the film and everyone involved it 's so important, and i 'm
1: a nostalgia junkie too, so it's interesting to go back and look at some of the things that I watched, yeah. even as a kid uh, through that lens and seeing you know just how far we 've come and how
0: not far we 've come in other ways it's it was really eye opening I, I think a lot about I think a lot about zeke 's um, there's a moment in the documentary where he's talking about Ace Ventura and how you know the the climactic moment of this like family friendly comedy is dozens and dozens of people violently vomiting at the sight of a trans woman who's just been stripped naked against her will, like in front of an audience. Like that was the climactic moment of a family comedy. And Zeke talks about that's like his, that was his favorite movie growing up as a kid. And like, that's how it ended. And and the way that he internalized that disgust. Um, Crying Game did very similar for me. Uh, having grown up with that and then, you know, dating men and then like that image just kind of like always plays in your mind.
1: Right.
0: Uh, and silence of the lambs is another big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the way that those images of trans people as monstrous, as objects of, um, disgust, uh, filter out into the culture and then more, more pointedly get internalized by trans people themselves. There's a moment that I, I
1: relate to in a way, uh, I, my brothers and I I have two straight older brothers and we used to watch the show entourage. And I remember there was an episode where one of the characters on that was getting a massage and the massage therapist thought that, uh, or the lead character thought that the massage therapist was hitting on him. And then he, he got very violent and he, he got in a fight with someone. And I I remember feeling that I was closeted at the time. And I remember just feeling that. And that image sticks out in my head of feeling like, Oh, I can Mm -hmm. never come out because, uh, I equated that if a straight person found out I was gay with violence and I, yes. only, and that, that resonated mit- with me in disclosure so much because I had never thought of it from the trans perspective, but uh, yeah, I think and you disclosure- don't even realize disclosures. It
0: a good media education, not just for trans people, but it makes you aware of how we look at any marginalized person on screen, you know, whether they're, you know, disabled or an immigrant or, um, you know, deaf or blind or gay or black, whatever it is, like, like it. It's after you see disclosure, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, who wrote that? Like, who directed it? Who participated in it? What does it say about a marginalized person? Like, what kinds of narratives am am I internalizing because of that depiction? And you say in it, you say, we need more trans representation, because then the
1: occasional clumsy representation wouldn't matter that much. Now, it one of the things that struck out, and I talked to Brian Michael Smith, who was on this show a couple months ago uh, from Nine One One Lone Star Nine One One. Or Brian 9-1-1. was actually
0: my roommate in Los Angeles. Oh my god.
1: god, him and I went to the same college. We like have oh no kidding in Kent State University. Yeah, uh, I, love I love him. Yeah, but uh, I was wondering the pressure for you when you take part in a project, you mention it not being a burden, but are there moments when you're going into a meeting and you, or you leave a meeting and you have to explain this, or even in an interview, I mean, we're talking about trans uh, representation. Mm-hmm. Do you ever leave feeling exhausted or,
0: or drained that you're constantly having to do the teaching? Does that make sense? It does. And I know exactly what you mean. And weirdly, no, uh, I consider it a, a privilege. the, <laughs> When I came out in Chicago about, about 10 years ago, the very first um, public event I went to as a trans person, like in the trans community uh, was a wake for a young black trans woman who had been murdered and was the third trans woman who had been murdered uh, that year in Chicago. Um, no one was ever caught or arrested. There was absolutely no justice. And, and right from, from that beginning, right from that entree, uh, I was you know, mentored, I was helped, I, I learned from mostly um, poor trans women of color, uh, who were the ones who are often doing all of the work on the ground in terms of community advocacy and, and mutual aid. And I quickly realized right from the beginning that I was always going to have a certain uh, additional amount of privilege uh, because I was white, um, because of my background and the experiences I'd had. Uh, and that I had a responsibility to use that privilege to help people with less. Um, and since all that help had been given to me, every time I get to help other people in some way, shape, or form, some way, shape, or form, even if it's just through a conversation and, and simple education, uh, then to me, it's like I've, i I... I I feel a privilege that I get to give back in that way that I get to help in some small, in some small way. Like I'm not on the ground doing community organizing. I'm not there at the, you know, LGBT centers or out on the streets with these kids. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, like Chase Strangio um, in state houses around the country right now, having to argue against bigots just so that trans kids, you know, can play sports without being, um, you know, legalized out of existence. So I, I'm incredibly lucky. So anytime I get, I get to give a little bit back and like help in some, in some small way, uh, it's a blessing.
1: So. That's amazing. Jen, thank you. Uh, I want to talk about Clarice. Now, Clarice is a show on CBS. It's sort of a continuation of the story that we all saw play out in the film Silence of the Lambs. I wonder if you could maybe just briefly explain to people uh, about the sort of legacy of this Buffalo Bill character from the original film.
0: It's a complicated legacy uh, for several reasons, in part because Science of the Lambs is such an excellent movie. If it were a bad movie, it'd be very easy to dismiss the fact that the main villain is, is framed as this kind of psychotic, transsexual you know, serial killer. It'd be very easy to, to dismiss that if it wasn't such an excellent movie <laughs> and, and such an award-winning, iconic movie that's been a touchstone for, for 30 years now. Uh, but what it did, and what many people aren't really consciously aware of, is that in a time when very little was known about trans people in the public consciousness, where where almost no one knew an actual trans person, it became the dominant image of trans people was, um, this psychopathic serial killer who, who so desperately wanted to embody femininity that he was willing to murder and skin, uh, actual women. Uh, and that kind of framing of trans people, particularly as it built on a legacy that goes back to Alfred Hitchcock's psycho and continues through, you know, dress to kill, and sleepaway camps and countless other movies that showed, um, you know, a man who wants to dress up as a woman as a as a stand-in for a, for for a, a psychotic individual, and so it created this 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 legacy and this touchstone. And and for me, it manifested in a very personal and direct way when I was was on the edge of, of coming out as trans myself and transitioning. And in my, my previous career, I started kind of towing the water a little bit and asking my colleagues, like how they would feel about that. Like what I still have my job, but essentially. And I, I told one colleague that I was thinking of transitioning. She looked at me quizzically and said, do you mean like Buffalo Bill? Like it was her only touchstone for what a trans person was. Uh, and that's not exactly the reference you want in people's minds when you're coming out as trans uh, so it, cr- it created a really complicated legacy and like I said earlier um, it also a lot of trans people internalize that kind of imagery because we don't have anything else when there's no positive representation you you kind of glom onto to whatever is there and when all that's there is is horrendous either a person committing violence or as you said earlier being a victim of violence you start to think in that in that kind of binary like am I a um, am I crazy? <laughs> am I deranged? Like, am I uh, mentally ill? Or or am I going to be a victim? Again, those are the only two ways that you can e- embody transness based on, on media. And that's, um, that's a hard one to overcome. And I was really thrilled to help be part of something that might combat that legacy a little bit. So when you first got the call about coming on board or
1: having a meeting about coming on board, did you wrestle with that decision at all? Or did you feel, oh, this is an exciting opportunity for me to try to maybe right this wrong a little bit.
0: Definitely the latter. And in part, because I was such a fan of the movie and of the character of Clarice Starling, uh, you know, there's, there's a dearth of positive trans representation, but there's also just a dearth of positive female representation, you know, growing up. So in the nineties, just to see this really, you know, smart, ambitious woman who I, yeah, I always think about that image uh, of her in the elevator in the movie, like surrounded by all these men who are like, you know, two feet taller than her. And yet she triumphs um, through her intelligence and tenacity. Uh, she uses her femininity in ways uh, it's, it was a powerful character. And then, you know, having it been played by this very important, you know, queer actress as well. Uh, I, w- I was very excited. And then, I first got approached about the, about this show uh, by Nick Adams at GLAAD and knowing that he was involved in any way uh, gave me a lot of trust and he trusted Alex and Jenny and Elizabeth, the showrunners of Clarice. He'd worked with them previously, particularly with Star Trek, who had been doing some really Groundbreaking work in terms of sexuality and gender and the genre space. So all the pieces were there for me to have uh, to have a good amount of faith that this was going to be uh, handled in the best possible way.
1: Now, I got a chance to see your episode, and I wondered: Have you watched it yet? Uh, your I first did episode? just a few days ago for the and first what, time. So yeah. how did you think about how it was handled after you after
0: seeing it uh, in finished uh, form? You know, I'm one of those actors who doesn't really like to watch themselves, and I, I was—I I probably, if I didn't have to do it, talk about it in the press, I'm not sure I would have watched it at all. Uh, but my wife is my biggest fan, so she insisted <laughs> we watch it, uh, and I was actually very happy with how it turned out. You were so good, It's Jim. really well handled. Uh, it's a great script. Eleanor Jean, who's a trans writer, who actually was a writer on Mrs. Fletcher, so had uh, we had worked together previously, uh, I thought she wrote a really powerful script. Uh, there's a um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that there is a really wonderful moment, a kind of monologue where my character confronts Clarice about uh, the, the, the legacy of Buffalo Bill and her kind of complicity and press that linked trans people to uh, murderers. And uh, that was a really high bar for Eleanor to clear, to, to have a character do the speech, which, on the one hand had to embody uh, the entire uh, history of criticism of science of lands had to speak for the entire trans community uh, to the complicated legacy, but also had to be believable in terms of this one character confronting another character, like a real person confronting another real person Mm -hmm. about the personal damage that, that, that story had done to her. And I think Eleanor did it uh, really, really beautifully. And then Deborah, our director, uh, really went to great lengths to make sure that I was in a place when we recorded that scene where I could be very personal with it and I could infuse it with some of my own um my, my own trauma, for lack of a better word, and really bring some authenticity to it. So it was a kind of perfect storm of, of really uh, great women from Elizabeth, the the head writer, to Eleanor, the writer of that episode, to Deborah, uh, to Rebecca, my co-star. And uh, and I did a good job myself, too. So I You did were amazing, part. Jen. You were amazing. <laughs> and
1: also, I think it's a really great thing because I, I don't know, maybe it's wrong of me to think this way, but CBS, I often think of being sort of one way. And so I think this is going to present... Yeah. Uh, this storyline to an audience that maybe wouldn't see it otherwise. And I, I think that's a really special thing
0: frankly, that's what excites me most about Clarice overall is the way that it has centered women and the way that it has, you know, named victims in a way that we don't often see on, on CBS procedurals. That's talked specifically about violence against marginalized and vulnerable women. I love the way that they've made a storyline out of um, Clarice and Ardelia's friendship and the way that Clarice can advance because she's white, where is punished because she's black. Like, they're taking all these kind of, like, complicated issues that were this, that 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 were the subtext of Signs of the Lambs and have you know been brought forward into the kind of popular consciousness now and are like finding those little tension points and making really rich stories out of them. It's a it's a really good show. Uh, this might sound like a, a silly or stupid question, but is there something that you've seen recently?
1: <clears throat> excuse me, that maybe hasn't handled uh, trans issues well at all, or that you think, oh man, they is that a crazy question? Uh, Caitlin Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, Jen, I was going to ask you, cause I, people wrote in, they wanted me to ask you what you think of the
0: Caitlyn Jenner of the doll uh,
1: about oh, running for Lord. office.
0: I just, I, I don't even know what to say. It just seems it's a distraction more than anything. She, uh, It's hard for me to believe that she's even doing this in good faith. I don't think she has any chance uh, of winning. So I'm not sure what she's really doing this for. Um, And the little time that I spent with her, I have no sense that, that she's, um, uh, particularly politically conscious uh, I don't think she's done a really good job of examining the kind of privilege that she can that that she can take for granted because of her social position or even specifically the the impact that all these laws are actually having uh, on trans youth I will say that she's a very kind and empathetic person uh, she she does actually care uh, she does care about injustice but she tends to notice it only on an individual level and not a systemic level. I'm not sure that she really has the the capacity to think, um, in terms of injustice at the systemic level, uh, and certainly doesn't, hasn't indicated, uh, any desire to, um, to critique or challenge a system that that benefits hers, that benefits her and, and hurts people who who have less. So it's a it's really frustrating when the media uh, elevates her or thinks that in any way that she speaks for trans people because she she doesn't. She she speaks for herself. Um, so it, it was really hurtful to see someone who should be able to speak on the issue of trans people in sports quite pointedly uh, and with real empathy and compassion and to see her instead side, you know, uh, with bigots and misinformation uh, and know that it's going to hurt actual trans kids was, was disappointing and enraging. And yeah. You know, I, there's a few uh, trans teens
1: that I know listen to this show, specifically one who reached out uh, and uh, wanted to basically ask, uh, she lives in a small town and is terrified, uh, confused. Is there any advice you would give to a young trans teen who is struggling with coming out coming to terms?
0: Yeah, a lot actually. Um, although although the world is so different than when I came out, I, I think with social media it must be so much harder in some ways, but it's also probably much easier to find resources and community. Um, find your people. It's probably the best advice I can ever give any young queer person. There are other people out there like you, and finding them will become a, a, a tremendous uh source of, of support and camaraderie and friendship. Um, know that you're not just one thing, that uh, just because you're trans doesn't mean you're only trans. So continue to develop your interests and your hobbies and your passions. Something I often tell young trans people is, Pick something you love and become great at it, because if you're great at one thing, it will give you confidence in other areas of your life. It will give something to talk about. It will give people a reason to engage with you and respect you that is outside of this one aspect of your identity, you know, not to hide or reduce that aspect of yourself, but just let it be one part of you, one of many parts of yourself. Um, Yeah, and be kind to yourself. (laughs) It's, it's tough. Um, and, you know, we, we often say in the trans community that, that things don't actually get better for us. Uh, life actually gets um, quite a bit harder when you come out as trans, but it also gets, um, you get stronger through the process. You get much stronger. You can handle more than you ever could have imagined yourself handling. Uh, and in that struggle, you find something really beautiful and a source of, of strength and pride that will um carry you through the rest of your life
1: i love decorating the house and getting furniture but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space and so luckily i'm here to tell you about a company called cozy now cozy is fantastic a north american company that And I know I have to wrap this up, but I just want to thank you. You're, I, I could talk to you forever. I, I've always been such a fan of your work and your acting work. Are there any acting goals that you have or or writing goals, producing goals? Like, What's next for you?
0: I'm doing a lot of writing right now. I have um, three TV shows in development. I mean, two that I created and one that I'm writing on, a big genre piece. Uh, I don't think any of them will be announced anytime soon. Creating TV is a long, slow process, uh, but there's a lot of really great stuff coming down the road that I'm excited about. Uh, I don't have any other acting jobs lined up, but if any casting folks or directors are listening to this, please, please have me over. I love doing that. Uh, I would love to do a comedy and I would love to play a villain. I think those are the two areas where we really, uh, Need some room for growth. Uh, Trans people don't always have to be so serious. Uh, Being trans can actually be really funny. I love what folks like um, Shakina Nafak and Patty Harrison are doing out there for trans people in comedy. But uh, I think it's time for like an indie feature or a sitcom or something that includes trans people. Uh, And playing a villain. Uh, I think that's that's a next big frontier. We're still kind of in this, you know, what I call a Sydney Poitier moment where trans people have to be, you know, so classy and dignified and respectable and good looking and intelligent and advocates like all of that. Like, uh, I would like to see some messy trans people out there and some evil trans people out there. And I'm happy to play either. (laughs) I love that. Now, uh, just to wrap up, I ask all of my guests this question, their favorite Mariah Carey song. Oh, gosh. I, I'm i not a pop music person. I don't know pop music. Uh, I don't think I can name it. I know she has a Christmas song. We'll say that, Jen. That works for
1: me. Uh, that works for me. It's a classic. Uh, Jen, I want to encourage all of our listeners, uh, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, to like, subscribe, comment, all of that stuff. And then also check out Jen on Clarice on CBS uh, it, you're fantastic in it, and I think it's going to really touch a lot of people who who may not be touched by by these kinds of things uh, in, in media. So, thank, thank you so you, much Jen. for the conversation, Danny. Oh, it was such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you.